Hebrews chapter 5, all right? So uh, as you get there, Hebrews chapter 5, in your notes, we're picking up. We've been through a study of Hebrews. As you're turning or finding it on your app or however you're going, I've got a strange question for you. Does anyone know what a truckle is? Anybody? few of you? Like nobody, one person. All right, so a truckle is like a cylinder wheel of cheese. So you, you thought this was going to be some like Greek word. No, no, it's not like that. Uh, it's like a cylinder wheel of cheese, and uh, that has no point whatsoever with anything that we're really talking about. But I've been thinking about it because I've been remembering that old like Cheez-It commercial. You remember the Cheez-It commercials? There's a scientist, and he's sitting in front of this truckle of cheese, right? And he's trying to measure whether or not the cheese is mature. Remember this? And so the scientist is sitting there with his clipboard, and this truckle of cheese speaks up. And it always says something kind of silly, like, you know, what do you call cheese that isn't yours? And then obnoxiously yells out, nacho cheese. Remember this? The scientist takes the clipboard, and he checks, not ready. Happens. Keeps going, and then finally the, the truckle of cheese says something sophisticated. And the scientist checks, ready, the cheese is mature. And then presumably, by the way, takes the world's first magical talking truckle of cheese and slaughters it and turns it into a cracker. I I don't know. That's the commercial. And the whole point is we take time for our cheese to mature. Um, I know, I know, that was a really cheesy setup. Oh, see what I did? (laughs) All right, I promise. I'll stop. I'll stop. Okay, so here's the question. As a believer, as a Christian, when are you mature? When are you mature? The Bible teaches us that we're set apart to grow, to mature, that God is at work in us, conforming us to be like Jesus. That at the moment of conversion, we are justified, declared righteous, holy before God. And that he is now, on the other side of conversion, sanctifying us, growing us into what he has declared us to be. And the Bible looks forward to a future event, which we acknowledge as glorification, in which God will fulfill that and the full righteousness and holiness of Jesus will mark our lives no sin no brokenness the complete holiness of Jesus will be our reality and so ultimate maturity is as Paul writes in Ephesians 4 is the full stature of Christ's likeness his holiness So let's just be honest. None of us are close to arrival. We are a long ways away. So what is it to mature? If the ultimate goal of of glorification is so far in front of me, what is it to live out measurable distinction of spiritual adulthood? I mean... Is it just passive? I mean, do we just, you know, hermit, hide, and wait for it to happen to us? Is it a list of things that we must achieve? 
Do we seek to qualify ourselves as mature? Is it an exercise in shame? As we just continue to exasperate ourselves in failure again and again. Is it an exercise in pride? In which we boast in our works? No. But I do think we might more fairly ask the question, is is it even important? Is it critical? Does it matter? And to that, the answer is yes. It matters a lot. And if you will, just give me a moment to personalize it. As a pastor, I toil. I work within my calling to this end. And that's not just me being dramatic. There's biblical precedent for that. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, beginning of verse 28, Jesus, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Now, catch that parallel. That's important. We're going to see that throughout this morning. With all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul says, for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. We, the church, Jesus followers, are set apart to grow. We are called to mature. And today's text is a favorite for me because it really does just bring definition and clarity to this calling. It also begins kind of a new mini-series as we walk through Hebrews. It's kind of a series within a series. We will come back to Jesus, the high priest, the better high priest. But right in the middle, we find another one of these warning sections. If you've been going through Hebrews with us, you've seen some of those. They're kind of a common theme. They come up and they're mostly negative implications of rejecting the truth presented. In this particular section, right, we've been told to pay attention to Jesus' revelation, to strive, to enter his rest, and now we are warned, do not be sluggish. The idea, do not be satisfied with where you are. Don't be satisfied with where you are. Our big truth this morning that we'll see a little bit further in our text in verse 14, our powers of discernment are trained by constant practice. Our skills of discerning God's revelation in everyday life are developed through continual exercise, through continual practice. This marks the life of the mature. So do not be satisfied with where you are, but long forward. Two implications that we'll see kind of just in this text. We're going to give them to you now, and then you can just see them as we go through them. First big idea, the immature are sluggish. They're satisfied to stay. Contrast that with the mature who are active, eager, purposed to grow. So listen for these things as we get into our text. Verse 11, Hebrews chapter 4. About this we have much to say. And it is hard to explain. 
since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Let's break it down. Verse 11 begins, he says, about this we have much to say. This being Jesus is a better high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is a better high priest. Spoiler alert, I'll fast forward us a couple of chapters in. He's a better high priest who brings a new covenant, who brings new promises. And he's making an argument that Jesus is of the order of Melchizedek. See, Hebrews began, remember our kind of a quick recap, it began, Jesus is the better revelation. God in full made himself known in the Son. We know God through Jesus. Hence, the revelation proclaimed in Jesus is greater than his servants, both his heavenly servants, the angels, his earthly servants, even great leaders like Moses and Joshua. And so Jesus alone brings true deliverance. Jesus alone offers Sabbath perfect rest, a rest that is incomparable from any other source, any other creation, because Jesus is the creator, and in Jesus there is a perfect rest, because Jesus is a better perfect high priest who brings a new covenant. He fulfills and accomplishes the law. He gives access to a better worship. He fulfills and accomplishes the Levitical priesthood, the sacrificial offerings, the seasonal acts of atonement. And so the author of Hebrews is making an argument that the entire worship life of the Old Testament has been radically revealed and focused onto Jesus himself. The fulfillment and requirement of the law met by Jesus. The righteousness required to be reconciled by God met by Jesus. The redemptive work beyond our ability met by Jesus. Perfectly fulfilled in him. And to make this argument... The author explains that Jesus is not a priest in the line of Levi. These human priests that go back to the old covenant. But no, Jesus is in the line of Melchizedek. And he introduces this, and as soon as he does, in verse 10, he pauses to give warning. Verse 11, again, about this we have much to say. And he goes on and he says, it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. All right, you have to give me this moment of levity, all right? This is, this is just great. The author, inspired by the Holy Spirit, introduces a thought, then immediately abandons that thought, 
and introduces a new thought. Personally, that's very affirming. I love that. Just, that's great. And then also, if that's not enough, the author then admits this is really hard to explain. But he doesn't go into some sensitive culture or some cultural understanding of humility where he goes on about how he wishes he was a better communicator and he could say all these things different and do all these things. No, you know what he says? It's hard to explain. And listener, it's your fault. Verse 11, (laughs) since you have become dull of hearing, the word dull here is our word sluggish. It's the same word that's used a few verses later in chapter 6, verse 11, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, earnestness, to have full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be, here's our word, sluggish it's the same word but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises so dull sluggish we'll come back to it in a second he says hearing it means to take in to learn it's not just an audible concept it's it's the learning that's implied and just a neat parallel again same word in a really famous passage that we like to quote so much, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. That's our same word. They will accumulate for themselves teaching to suit their own passion and will turn away from listening. That's the word again, same word. Listening to truth, wander off into myths. They're satisfied with where they are, and what they want is affirmation to their current place, to their current standing. They want their norm to be celebrated. They don't want to be called forward. They don't want something that would call them to the full holiness of Christ. They are satisfied with where they are. And so they turn away from listening to the truth of God. The point is, here in Hebrews, he is calling them and he's saying to them, you are slow to learn. You're full. You are satisfied with what you have. See, there is more nutrition available to feed your soul. There's more truth to fuel your faith. However, you are satisfied with what you have, and as a result, you are slow to accept or to learn. You're full, you're immature, and thus content to stay where you are. In ignorance and pride, we make ourselves the standard, and anything beyond ourselves, anything beyond our personalized standard, we deem unnecessary. That's for someone else. That's not important. That's not critical. We dismiss it as academic and trivial. We dismiss it as outside of my gifting. We dismiss it as not relevant or needed today. Solomon wrote, oh, simple ones, how long will you love being simple? Inspired by the Holy Spirit, 
Solomon writes Proverbs, and in chapter 1, verse 4, to give prudence, which means wise discernment to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. And I want you to notice the link between the simple and the youth. Now, this is important. This is kind of a conceptual thought that I want to make sure you catch because it's encouraging. To miss this is a stumbling block into legalism, into shame, into license. It's to miss our position and to wrap our position into our pursuit. Notice the connection between the simple and the youth. We think youth and we recognize inexperience. They're unlearned and undisciplined. Insert us old people, and we're quick to think, I'm not simple. I am experienced. Life has taught me a few things. But we need to be careful. Age does not equal wise discernment. Solomon says this in Ecclesiastes 4.13, Better was a poor, wise youth than an old, foolish king. Notice, youth can be wise and old can be foolish. So what's the link between simple and youth? We all start simple. Even sinful. Even sinful. We are brought forth in iniquity, Psalm 51. Our hearts are deceitful above all things, Jeremiah 17. None of us is righteous, not one in Romans 3. Through one man's disobedience, many were made sinners in Romans 5. Ephesians 2, by nature, we are children of wrath. We, we start simple, satisfied, listen, in our ignorance. Seeking our glory, rejecting the truth of the Creator with the false idols of our pride. So listen, if this is true, and it is, because the Word proclaims it, then let it be known, Jesus died for the simple. Jesus died for the simple. He gave his life for the simple. So when Solomon says in chapter 1, verse 22, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? He's not being unloving. He's not being harsh or insulting. He's not putting on them some burden. No more than you acknowledging your three-year-old is not wise. And is not called to remain a three-year-old. Jesus gave his life for the simple. If you've ever been a parent, think of how much you love your three-year-old. They're simple. And you love them. You love them. So listen, being simple is not the point in this context. It is remaining simple. 
being simple is our reality, it's our starting point, but remaining simple is defiant, it is disobedient, and therefore remaining where you are, being satisfied in your ignorance and your simplicity, brings consequences. Proverbs 27, 12, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. Proverbs 1.32, for the simple are killed by their turning away, their rejection of wisdom's call to grow. Proverbs 9.6 says, leave your simple ways and live, walk in the way of insight. How? Proverbs 4.7, the beginning of wisdom is this, get it, get wisdom, and whatever you get, get insight. See, there is a calling uh, uh, a calling. There, there's a prevailing thought, a challenge in our worldview. And it tries so hard to celebrate self. And it puts out this lie that calling me to Jesus' holiness is not helpful. I fall short. I feel guilty. I don't feel victorious. And Jesus wants me to feel victory, not guilt. Listen, let me give you a blunt truth in love and try to provide focus. The aim of the gospel is not to make you feel victorious. The aim of the gospel is to proclaim Jesus' victory and worship him. You didn't create it. You don't contribute to it or add to it. You don't sustain it. However, by God's grace, through faith, you can be reconciled into it. But make no mistake, it isn't your victory. It's Jesus' victory. That's why it's called grace. It's His. And He gives it to us. And so it's our pride that wants to twist it and turn it back to ourselves. It's our sinful pride that wants to lower the standard of Christ's likeness and replace it with our own, something we consider more normal, more doable, more within our reach and our ability, something we can be satisfied with. There's a term for this. It's called legalism. And I know, I get it, it's not your grandparents' method, but it is the same sinful trap. Set achievable standards, then take comfort that I am doing good. Turn it back to your self-righteousness through license. There is, listen, some of you need to hear this, there's no such thing as a good or bad Christian. Only a Christian. However, there are immature and mature Christians. Think of your three-year-old. 
belonging, your love for them. There's no such thing as a good Christian or a bad Christian. There is only a Christian because the Christian's righteousness in full is in Christ Jesus. Every aspect of their holiness is in him, 100%. The Christian doesn't add to it in any way. But there are immature Christians, and there are maturing Christians. So in verse 12, he goes on and he says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. By this time, he says. Notice, there is a pace of growth that is an expected norm. Some of you have professed to be a Christian for years, and yet you lack a biblical worldview because you have not read or studied. Your life is undisciplined. Your speech, your time, your money, your pursuits are largely unchanged. Your friendships that so often we cover under the umbrella and say its ministry really looks no different from the world around you. There's limited to no replication and discipleship. So the author says, by this time, you ought to be teachers. Replication is expected of everyone. Not only should you grow, but grow to the point in which you teach others. For everyone is set apart to teach. Every husband, every wife, every father, every mother, every grandparent, every friend, every co-worker, every disciple. And by teach, we don't mean this, look, we're not talking about like a lecture, a lesson that is rehearsed. We are talking about the word that saturates and changes your life, the very revelation of God that has taken hold and produces in you a spirit-filled wisdom and insight to discern good and evil and live that out in everyday life that is an overflow that speaks into everyday conversations consistently, not just from your own counsel or the thing that we picked up from our grandparents. No, listen, but from the word of God. From the revelation of Jesus. He says in verse 12, But you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You're sluggish. He writes and he says, You're full, you're satisfied with where you are. And if you're satisfied, then you don't understand the basics. And so someone needs to teach them to you again. Because your mind and your heart and your actions are not around the, the fact, the truth, that life is in Jesus, that victory is in Him, that He is the creator and sustainer, that He is the very revelation of God, God making Himself known, that in Jesus there is perfect Sabbath rest, that He is a high priest of a new and better covenant. See, it's not that they just don't know who Melchizedek is. It's not that they don't understand every aspect of how Jesus is in the line of priests that goes back to Melchizedek. No, it's that they haven't exercised the basics enough to have an appetite for it. There's no longing for it. It's met with a dismissive sluggishness. You take it or leave it. It's not that important. 
And so he goes on in verse 12, he says, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. You lack measurable distinction of spiritual adulthood, specifically that you're unskilled in discerning God's revelation. You resist the nourishment of solid food. You're not pursuing provision. You're waiting for it like an infant. And since you hold to your milk appetite, since that's all that you require, since with it and it alone are you satisfied, you lack the nourishment to skillfully exercise discernment in everyday life. And as Paul says in Ephesians 4 when talking about discipleship, then you are tossed to and fro. You are just beat up by the waves of life. Verse 14, the contrast, but solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Solid food. The truths of God's revelation for the mature. Those deeper truths of who he is, who he's called us to be. That will give us practical discernment in how we live. For the mature. And one of the reasons I love this passage so much, it's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, is for this verse. Because it brings clarity to what we're called to as we're called to mature. And notice two things. He goes on, he says, for the power, or for those who have their powers of discernment trained. Trained. The qualifier at the end of the verse is to distinguish good from evil. Their sense of discernment, their powers of discernment, trained. It means exercise, put into practice. See, the mature are proven discerners of God's revelation in everyday life, and ethical life. They've learned and applied God's revelation in the past. The basics have took hold, and it has changed their actions there's a historical marker in their life so the mature aren't just a new believer it's not just a novice there is a historical marker of this practice in their life when you think of our pathway this kind of resource this tool that we give as a frame to observe and uh, just be involved in one another's life as discipleship at tri-cities you'll notice some things there is visible submission and devotion in the life of the mature. There are fruits of comprehension and replication. But that's not all. Because remember, the full stature of Jesus is so far in front of us. Notice the disclaimer. By constant practice, their powers of discernment are trained by constant, continual practice, exercise, doing, action. 
The mature are active doers of the word that are hungry and eager to grow. They are exercising an active eagerness to grow more and more into Christ's likeness. Church, listen, the mature are not satisfied. They're not satisfied with where they are. They long to be what God has called them to be. They long for the holiness of Christ to be present in their life. They are constantly exercising their maturity as they hold fast to their faith and live a life of submission and devotion. They long for more. They're not satisfied. And so you see these contrasting big ideas in our text that the immature are sluggish, satisfied to stay where they are. The mature are active. They are eager to grow. As the team comes up and leads us in a song of response, I, I, I don't do this often. I just I want to just speak to you for a moment as one of your pastors. Even in prepping for this, I was like, I'm not going to be emotional in this. One of your pastors who toils to present you mature. I pray we would long for more. I pray we would long for more. I do not want to be easily tossed to and fro. I don't want you to be either. See, I mourn those who have walked away. They've walked away because they were satisfied with where they are. I've literally wept as I've watched them get tossed to and fro. I'm also grateful. I'm grateful for the growth and the measure of maturity that God has given us at Tri-Cities Baptist Church. We are not the same church we were a decade ago. God is growing us. He's maturing us. And yet, we must not and shall not be satisfied. We are called and set apart to the full stature of Christ. To his holiness. Our life is not our own. We belong to him. The mature long to mature. 
They are constantly exercising that longing. May it be true of you. May it be true of me. May it be true of our church. May we be eager to grow. And may we not be satisfied with where we are. The author of Hebrews will go on in chapter 6, verse 1, and say, Let us not be satisfied, but go on to maturity. May we go on to maturity. May we establish an appetite for solid food in our thoughts, our time, our money, our speech to just discipline our thinking, to meditate on the things of God. Even in a service like this, not as a way to like, I would be right there with you, just think of how hard it is to just keep your mind focused and just think on the word. Not get distracted by your phone or something else, but to grow in the maturity. To seek and to long for an appetite solid food and the way we think, the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, the way we talk and interact with one another. How would we do such a thing? How would we even get started? Just some really quick basic applications. First, just pray. Ask the Lord to help you. Let him know that you recognize life is in Jesus and that you long to be in his holiness. Pray. Seek the help of the Spirit in your life. Second, study. Get in God's Word. There's a whole resource library downstairs. Study. Read your Bible. Invest in commentaries and resources. Third, connect in community. Get around other believers who would help you not fall into the trap of becoming stagnant, but would point you forward. Even this week, there's an opportunity to get in new Go Study groups. You can go online, find those on your app, get in those groups, get around other people, let the church walk through that with you. Disciple others. Practice, exercise these things. Family discipleship plan. Disciple your kids. Have a strategy. There's discipleship blueprints to help you get started. You say, well, I don't need that. I'm going to use this. Fine. But just be purposed in the discipleship of others. Practice. These are basic applications that we can pursue together as we long to mature. Close with this. Spurgeon was preaching on Psalm 119 and he said observe carefully that the man of God longed for the Lord's commandments this cannot mean anything else than that he longed to know them longed to keep them longed to teach them longed to bring all around him into obedience to them. If I had my choice of all the blessings I can conceive of, I would choose perfect conformity to the Lord Jesus or in one word, 
holiness. Church, let us hold fast to our faith. Let us purpose and long to go on to maturity and be satisfied with nothing less than the holiness of Jesus. Would you pray with me?